0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, May 25th. I'm Doug Blair.
1: And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, we share Rachel Del Judas' interview with Humberto Lopez. Lopez immigrated to America from Mexico as a boy. He became an entrepreneur and today runs a large real estate business with over 10,000 apartment units. He's also a Heritage Foundation board member. He joins the podcast to share his story of achieving the American
0: dream. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. The Biden administration rebuked Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko following the forced diversion of a Ryanair flight and the arrest of Belarusian dissident journalist Roman Protasevich by alleged KGB agents in Minsk in what the airline called a state-sponsored hijacking. Protasevich was traveling on Ryanair flight 4978 from Athens, Greece to Vilnius, Lithuania when air traffic controllers in Belarus ordered the plane to land in the Belarusian capital. Upon arrival, Protasevich was allegedly arrested by Secret Service agents who had been aboard the flight, per The Hill. In response to the incident, White House Press Secretary Jen Saki called for an international investigation and for accountability from Lukashenko's government. Here's Saki via Yahoo News.
1: We certainly, since you gave me the opportunity to do this, uh, condemn uh, the uh, Lukashenko's regime's ongoing harassment and arbitrary detention of journalists simply for doing their job. Um, This was a shocking act, diverting a flight between two EU member states for the apparent purpose of arresting a journalist. Uh, It constitutes a brazen affront to international peace and security by the regime. We demand an immediate, international, transparent, and credible investigation of this incident. Uh, We are in touch uh, with uh, a range of partners bilaterally and through multilateral channels from NATO, the OSCE, UN, EU and others uh, and we have nothing to read out at this point but we will continue to coordinate closely with
0: them european leaders also voiced their concerns with the belarusian government's actions the government of lithuania ordered all flights to and from the country to avoid belarusian airspace while german foreign minister heiko Maas called for Protasevich's immediate release
1: President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris are speaking out against anti Semitism in America. On Monday morning, Biden tweeted, The recent attacks on the Jewish community are despicable and they must stop. I condemn this hateful behavior at home and abroad. It's up to all of us to give hate no safe harbor. The surge in anti Semitic attacks against the Jewish community in the U.S. and around the world is despicable. It must be called out, condemned, and stopped. As a country, we must stand united against hate of any kind. The tweets come after an increase in anti-Semitic attacks in America following the Israel-Hamas mini-war. A window was shattered at a synagogue outside Chicago over the weekend. Video footage of the incident reveals two people breaking the window, one with a stick and another holding a Freedom for Palestine sign. On Thursday, a Jewish man was assaulted in Times Square. Police are also investigating an incident during a dual pro-Israel, pro-Palestinian protest in Times Square last week, in which someone threw fireworks. The Jewish civil rights group, known as the Anti-Defamation League, says it is seeing an increase in online and real-world anti-Semitism since the conflict between Israel and Hamas.
0: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill on Monday aimed at preventing social media companies from deplatforming users, as well as fighting online censorship. SB 7072, or as DeSantis called it, Florida's big tech bill, would make it illegal for social networking sites to ban political actors from their platforms. Platforms that did so would incur a fine of $250,000 per day for state candidates and $25,000 per day for local candidates. The bill also allows non-political individuals to sue social media companies for perceived antitrust violations, as well as, per the Washington Examiner, requiring social media companies to alert users a week before a potential ban to give them a chance to adjust their online behavior. Here's Governor DeSantis discussing the bill via Fox News Now. So it's time to step up and ensure that we, the people, especially our everyday Floridians, are guaranteed protection against the Silicon Valley power grab. With the reform we will sign in today, we'll be the first state to hold big tech accountable so that everyday people who use their
2: platforms have an ability to fight back.
0: The new law enters into effect on July first.
1: Now stay tuned for Rachel Del Judas's conversation with Humberto Lopez as they discuss achieving the American dream. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about a great way you can stay in the know on all the news The Daily Signal covers. Social media. The Daily Signal has an active presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are constantly posting news stories, clips from interviews, videos, and more across all our social platforms. Follow The Daily Signal on social media so you can get all the latest content from reels on Instagram to video clips on Facebook and political
3: commentary on Twitter. We're joined on The Daily Signal by Bert Lopez, co-founder and president of HSL Properties and chairman of the board of Peregrine Vision Sciences. Bert, it's great to have you with us on The Daily Signal.
2: Well, thank you, it's a pleasure to be here.
3: Well, you first came to this country as an immigrant. Can you tell us about your story?
2: Well, uh, my father passed away. We were living in Sonora and he passed away and I was 12 years old, I was the eldest of six and uh, pretty much had to go to work uh, at that point uh, uh, to help the family since my father died without a, he was 51 years old, he did not have a, a will Consequently, my mother didn't know anything about uh, Mexican law. So we came to the states where my grandmother and uncle lived so we moved in with them. One bathroom, uh, three adults and six children living in a household. If I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't want to change it. Uh, That made me who I am today.
3: We mentioned you came here because your father passed away. What did you think of America when you first got here?
2: Well, uh, you know, I I didn't speak English. I got held back the first year. I was living in a border town, so I really didn't know America uh, until I pretty much graduated and left and went uh, to to junior college and then uh, to the University of Arizona, and then the first time I left the state was when I was interviewing with the, the accounting firm, so I'm a CPA by profession, uh, and was flown to Los Angeles by a number of the accounting firms, so it was the first time I ever got to see anywhere outside of Nogales and Tucson and uh, Douglas uh, where I went to school, so uh, that's when I started learning about the country. I was pretty busy working, uh, trying to make a living, uh, helping the family, saving to go to college. and. Uh, didn't know much until I, I grew up.
3: Well, you had a lot of different jobs as a teenager. Can you tell us about what you learned in those different jobs?
2: Well, I, I learned that I didn't want to do those jobs the rest of my life. And consequently I uh, devoted myself that it was going to... Well, first, I was working uh, 40, 44 hours a week when I was in high school. And uh, I don't know how I, I ever did any homework. Nevertheless, I was a C student, my counselor... Advice that I should go to a uh, vocational school and become a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician. And God, I didn't want to do that because uh, that was not the type of work I wanted to do. I did have a good work ethic since I was working uh, from a pretty young age. And uh, in high school, as I said, I was working 44, 40, 44 hours a week. So consequently, I decided to go to junior college and give it a try. So I enrolled at uh, Cochise College in Douglas, Arizona. Uh, they, they just opened the year before. And I uh, had saved some money, uh, applied for a, a, uh, a loan, a federal loan. I got uh, a grant, to which I had to pay half of it, and the other half was forgiven. Uh, I worked at the cafeteria for my meals. Uh, and in the afternoon, since I had the uh, good work habit, I would go to the library all afternoon and would study uh, all afternoon, uh, taking 18 credits. I never took less than 18 credits in all the four years I was in college. So two years later, I graduated from uh, uh, Cochise College with an a Associate in Arts degree, transferred to University of Arizona, continued doing the same, uh, worked uh, for my meals, uh, were, were in the library all afternoon, uh, and got out in two years uh, with an accounting major. Uh, I applied uh, to go, uh, I wanted to be a, an auditor, a, a CPA an auditor. Uh, where I get a wide experience of different fields to figure out what I was going to do the rest of my life. So I applied to all the big eight at the time, got offers from every one of them, uh, chose to go with Deloitte, became a real estate expert within the firm. 1971, one of the uh, controllers, one of the firms I was auditing, gave me a book, How to Turn a Thousand Dollars into a Million Dollars. I borrowed $1,000 from my uncle. I told him I'd pay him back and, uh, and, uh, with my income tax refund, which I did. I then uh, went to Nogales and I did not know Los Angeles that well. I uh, bought a lot in Nogales. For 3,000, six months later, I sold it for $6,000, plus the $1,000 I, that I had. Uh, b- by the way, the seller carried back uh, $2,000, so I gave him $1,000 down. Uh they carried back two thousand dollars. Six months later I sold it. So I made a three thousand dollar profit plus a thousand I had so I had four thousand dollars. Immediately I bought another lot for five thousand dollars. Six months later, uh I sold it for eleven thousand dollars. that seller also had carried back uh part of the uh, the purchase price. Uh so pretty before I knew it I was on my way, I had made within a, within a year and a half, I had made uh twenty-five thousand dollars. Then I started uh at that point, I was in the National Guard, the Army Reserves, so I did not want to... I had gone drafted, so immediately I joined the National Guard. And in the uh, weekends, once a month, we used to meet. And I was able to convince five of my uh, friends to each give me $5,000, and I would put in $5,000. dollars we go out and buy an apartment complex, uh, which I told them, I'll, I'll split the, the profits 50-50, but I'll get my money last. So if I make a mistake, you get your money, and I lose. Well, six months later, we sold it for a $100,000 profit, and they became my my lifelong investors. And uh, the rest is history. I started uh, making little investments, and before I knew it, I was making the large ones. Uh, By 1979, I had properties throughout the southwest all the way up to Georgia. Uh, Sold out, thought I retired in 1980, but they didn't last long, so.
3: Wow. Well, as an immigrant to this country, what is your perspective on the current immigration crisis we're seeing right now?
2: I I, I think there's got to be a process. Uh, There was a process in in, in the 20s when uh, all the Europeans were coming to this country and there was a process making sure that the people that were coming were people that we wanted to be citizens of this country and not open borders as we have today. I'm not in agreement with with the open borders. Fortunately, since my mother was uh, an American citizen, I was able to... uh, I I was born in this country and I was an American citizen even though I, I grew up in Mexico.
3: Well, there's a lot of talk, especially recently, about whether or not the American dream is still attainable. Based on your own experience, what do you think?
2: Well, the American dream is still attainable in as long as we have capitalism. Uh, big government, uh, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and I think that's going to take away the opportunities for a lot of the uh, dreams of uh, a lot of us would have had 50, 60 years ago. Uh, it's making it harder and harder. So uh, I was I got a a video the other day, it's called The Great Reset, where you won't own anything, but you'll be happy. Well, sure, you would be happy. If they give you a home, uh, free education, uh, universal pay, uh, college tuition free, uh, and you stay home and don't do anything, you're going to be very happy. But uh, those of us that uh, want to work hard uh, for the American dream, it's going to make it harder and harder. We're going to be working for the government.
3: Well, you launched the Center for Opportunity that's in Tucson. Can you tell us about what the center does?
2: Yes, several years ago, I visited a uh, homeless shelter in Phoenix and uh, it looked like a homeless shelter. But what I liked about it is they were providing the services. I I can't recall how many services, but they had a wide range of services for the homeless. So the idea is still in me that uh, if I ever had an opportunity, I would uh, open up a uh, homeless shelter, but it would be with dignity and respect. Where all the service would be provided on, in, under one campus, and also try to make it a model for the country. Well, uh, t- about three years later, uh, a hotel uh, came, became available, th- three and one room hotel, and I jumped at the uh, at the opportunity, bought it, uh, closed in ten days, all cash, uh, and immediately I had to go out and find out uh, a what I call an anchor tenant, somebody that could help me. Uh, Realized a dream that I had for the center, and I interviewed n- nine different uh, nonprofits. Came up uh, with uh, Gospel Rescue Mission, which uh, been founded here in Tucson in 1953. Uh, it's a religious base, Christian base organization, and uh, they agreed to take over and help me with my vision. Uh, and before so, I uh, immediately engaged uh, the architects to uh, plan the whole. Uh, campus, and all uh, well, at the same time, Gospel Rescue Mission was getting, uh, getting uh, the uh, nonprofits who are gonna operate within the center. Today we have about 35 nonprofits operating. All the buildings have been completed. We'll be fully operational uh, by, uh, hopefully by uh, October, and we'll have up to 550, 600 homeless living facility. However, the whole idea here is not to provide housing and meals for these people, but to get them to reintegrate them back into uh, society, give them dignity, and uh, get them a job where they can be self-supporting. Uh, so far, we've been very successful. Last month, from uh, my understanding, we placed 58 uh, homeless into jobs. So the program is working very well. You would never, you, you drive by the property, you never see that it's a homeless shelter. It is immaculate, uh, there are all b- new buildings, beautiful property. Hopefully, you'll have an opportunity to go visit and see it for yourself.
3: Well, what would your advice be to a young American who wants to be a successful entrepreneur?
2: Well, you know, one of the things that I've learned uh, in all my years of uh, running uh, HSO Properties is that uh, you cannot teach hard work. If you don't have a hard work ethic in you, it's going to be pretty hard to be successful. Uh, And I see a lot of these millennials, a lot of these young kids, they want to make a lot of money, but they don't want to work too hard. I reward hard work more than I do smart. Uh, when I was uh, in school they used to give you, uh, in grade school they used to give you a grade for effort. I wish I would do that today.
3: Well, what was behind your decision to get involved in homelessness? Did you know a particular homeless person or what was the burden on your heart that made you get
0: involved? Well,
2: uh, yeah, I grew up in welfare. When I went, came, came to this country. I grew, grew up in welfare. I promised my mom, uh, my mother, that uh, she was a, line waiting for uh, back in those days they didn't give you food stamps you had to go in uh, to the uh, uh, Department of Economic Security and they would give you the boxes of food and I remember she, uh, holding her hand and she was so embarrassed because she had grown up in Ogalas, and people knew her and all of a sudden she comes back uh, and she's some welfare while we were living in Mexico we, we were pretty much a middle class family uh, my father was uh, quite successful uh, so all of a sudden we go from middle income to not having anything. So I had gotten a taste of a little better life, so I always wanted to go back and recover the life I left behind. So I I promised my mother one day I would take care of her, and I did.
3: Are there any personal stories from the shelter, from your center, of people that you've helped that have gone on to do other things?
2: Oh, absolutely. Right now, I have, for the last three months, I have one of the graduates of the center who, before he Ended up with an addiction and homeless for five years. He was a general contractor. He had a, an accident, started taking uh, Oxycontin, uh, became addicted to Oxycontin. Pretty soon, Oxycontin wasn't working, and he graduated to uh, uh, the harder Drugs. And uh, before he knew it, he had lost his family, his home, ended up homeless for five years and uh, in jail. So in jail, he uh, got to wake up, and he decided at that point he was going to get well. So he started doing everything possible to make himself better. He then uh, moved on to the Center of Opportunity. Graduated from Center of Opportunity uh, and uh, a wonderful young gentleman. So first what I did, I helped him with a car. He, he was uh, riding a bike, going to work, and then uh, uh, he needed a car, so I had an old car that I made available to him. And when he finished the work he was doing at another property, I brought him over to my house. And uh, I kid, uh, my wife says, I, I love to have this kid as my my uh, son-in-law. So he's worked very well, very honest, very hard-working, and uh, now um, he's going to be getting his general contractor's license again. He's gotten a number of of high recommendations and uh, so he's on his way to a better life and getting back where, where he left off.
3: Wow, thanks for sharing that. Well, as we wrap up, do you have any thoughts on how conservatives can better reach Hispanics?
2: You know, I today it's getting harder and harder with all the entitlements that people are getting Uh, but you know those those that that first generation that comes in any immigrant that comes into this country they come here to work however if you start promising them all these entitlements you're going to make them lazy they're not going to work we own apartments and hotels and we build our own apartment complexes we're finding it harder and harder and harder to find skilled workers and the only ones that come in and uh, take those jobs are Hispanics, they're the Mexicans. that uh, The first generation that come to this country, they come to work very hard. They, they work in the heat, they work long hours. But uh, you know, if we start promising that we're gonna take care of them, it's gonna get harder and harder. For instance, here at the hotel of the Ritz-Carlton, we cannot get the, the uh, minimum wage employees, and we're not paying minimum wage, but we cannot get them to come back to work. My understanding right now that if you're unemployed, you're getting $600 a week, which is $15 an hour, without any deductions. I, I was at a restaurant the other day, they're paying him seventeen fifty. offering seventeen fifty, dollars They cannot get him to come to work because they don't want to work for $2.50 an hour, which is basically, so why, why make a couple of hundred dollars more and I have to go to work where I can get $600 a week without working? So when that stops, hopefully they'll come back, but uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen because uh, the, these uh, entitlements are growing by the day. Uh, the deficit in this country is will be at $30 trillion before we know it, which is about $100,000 per living sold in this country. I don't know how we, we ever pay it back other than through inflation. I see inflation looming. It's right in front of us. And uh, before we know it, we'll have hyperinflation.
3: Well, Bert, thank you for joining us on The Daily Signal. It's been great having you with us.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
3: And that'll do it for today's podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal podcast.
0: You can find The Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe.
1: Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow.
0: The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.